From Washington, this is CQ on Congress, the nonpartisan source for in-depth analysis of Capitol Hill's policy debates. I am Sean Zeller. Representatives have left Washington for their annual August recess, leaving a raft of unfinished business. When they return, they'll have to decide how to fund the government for the coming fiscal year and whether to try to finish up any policy legislation before the midterm election in November. Lindsay McPherson, the House leadership reporter for Roll Call, surveyed the possibilities this week, and she joins me today. Welcome, Lindsay. Thanks for having me, Sean. So, Lindsay, first, has the House gotten anything done this year? They did. And I don't want to, as we continue this discussion, I don't want to overshadow that with all the things they haven't done. So let me highlight a few things they did do. Just this week, uh, they passed a career and technical education bill, um, which has kind of been part of their agenda. They feel like there's in the labor force right now, um, there are jobs available, just people who lack the skills to do them. So some of this allows people to obtain more career and technical education. They also finished the NDA, that's the National Defense Authorization Act, this week passing the conference committee report. That goes on to the Senate to pass the conference committee report. And if that gets done very quickly, it's going to be the first time that the NDA has been completed this quickly in about 40-some years. Right. But it is a bill they pass every year. They they do pass it every year, but, you know, getting it done this early is, is significant. To their credit. They have overhauled the Department of Veterans Affairs, passed a bill to do that earlier this year. I think that was in June. Um, They passed dozens of opioid bills trying to um, combat the epidemic. They have sent those over to the Senate as a package, and they kind of are sitting there now. I think the Senate might be working on some of their own legislation on that. They passed a prison reform measure, bipartisan, Still pending in the Senate. Still pending in the Senate as well. As is, you know, this is one of the big complaints from the House lawmakers is, you know, we do actually pass a lot of stuff, but a lot of it doesn't get to the Senate. They did reach agreement with the Senate very early in the year uh, to reauthorize domestic surveillance programs, um, uh, post 9-11 anti-terrorism programs. Right. And they're working with the Senate on a farm bill. We know that right. the House passed their farm bill after a little struggle, but um, (laughs) that they are working in conference on that and... Uh, we'll see how that pans out because the House has some work requirements that the Senate does right, in their work measure. requirements for food stamp recipients right. that the Senate does not have. But if they can get that aside, they could pass that. Anything else? I mean, there were a couple other things, they, things they pass frequently, um, bipartisan Water Resource Development Act. Um, they have to do that every two years. So the big ones they sort of hang out there are immigration, of course. They took some votes in June. Nothing passed as far as helping the the so-called dreamers, the young immigrants who were brought to the parent uh, brought to this country illegally by their parents or dealing with the uh, larger issues related to family separation and comprehensive immigration reform. They didn't do anything it turned out on uh, infrastructure. That was something we were worried about uh, or wor- we were thinking about that it might do. So what's what's left? I mean, what's the first order of business when the house returns? Well, I think the first order of business should be to fund the government, considering they have 11 legislative days in September to do that. Um, because they're out a lot during September, too. Right. They there's district work hol- periods. Holidays. Um, they're usually out around that time. I don't know what the exact first item will be. I think that the appropriations are a top priority. There are six bills that the House did pass, um, six that they have not. I assume they'll want to move some of those, but their priority is for the six that have passed to conference them with the Senate. They are in conference on one spending package. They call them mini buses. Um, that's ongoing. There's a 
hang up there over um, veterans funding. They need to work through still, but hopefully they can get that resolved and get that bill actually passed through both the conference report, passed through both chain, chambers and act into law. There are other conferences that they'll probably move to quickly form when they get back at the Senate's working through some other packages now that they can conference with the House once the House returns. Right. And the appropriations process has been really broken for a long time, leading Congress to, at the last minute, pass big omnibus measures where the, what is it, 12 or 13 appropriations bills, 12 appropriations bills that are supposed to be passed every year are rolled into one or two bills. I guess the question on appropriations is, is there a chance of a shutdown? Could they not get things done by the September 30th deadline? Could they not pass a continuing resolution that sort of keeps things going at the status quo? Is there any chance of that? Are people talking about that? I mean, there's always a chance of a shutdown in Congress, um, especially with an unpredictable president who has repeatedly threatened to shut down the government if he doesn't get his way. There was a good sign this week, the speaker... Uh, Paul Ryan and the Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell met with the president um, and talked to them about their strategy, how they wanted to work through doing these smaller packages, try to get some of those enacted into law. So here's what the speaker, Paul Ryan, had to say at his recent press conference. First of all, uh, Leader McConnell and I, like we all always do, had a very productive meeting. Uh, We walked the president through our strategy for appropriations before the fiscal year. Uh, He agreed with our strategy. So we think we have a unified strategy uh, to make sure that we can get as many appropriation bills done as possible. So we think we have a very good chance, unlike a handful of years in the past, we think we have a very good chance of getting a lot of these appropriation bills done and into law before the fiscal year deadline. There will be some bills that will not pass, that won't be ready or done by then. So, Lindsay, he says they may not be able to pass all the bills. What do they do then? I mean, the plan is for anything that can't be enacted into law to do a continuing resolution. And he seemed to acknowledge yesterday that that includes the Department of Homeland Security appropriations measure that would include the border wall funding, that that president agreed that he can defer that fight, that he's willing to be patient on that. um, And they can revisit that probably later this year. You're listening to the CQ on Congress podcast. Visit CQ.com for subscription information. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and NPR One. Back to you, Lindsay. What about policy bills? Is there anything that they might do before the midterm election? Beyond the appropriations, they have a plan to do, I mean, they consider this policy, but it's also political messaging. A tax reform 2.0 package, as they're calling it, uh, it's supposed to be three bills. One is going to make the individual tax cuts permanent. Those are set to expire after 2025. Um, Another one will focus on retirement incentives, and another will focus on uh, incentives for small business startup firms. Right now, so when they passed the tax law in 2017, they used a special process called budget reconciliation, which allowed them to do it on a party-line vote in the Senate. didn't affect how the House process goes, but these, therefore, are more messaging bills. They don't have that process to work with. To some degree... They are more messaging. Certainly, the I would say making the individual tax cuts permanent is not going to get 60 votes in the Senate. The other two, I mean, it's it's possible. Like, it depends how much Democrats want to play ball. Those are not particularly controversial items. There's bipartisan interest in doing more through the tax code to encourage people to save for retirement. So certainly, you know, depending on, you know, it is right before the election, so no promises the Democrats are going to want to help Republicans. But I think that it's not out of the realm of possibility they can pass those other two bills. And that's why they package them that way, so that there is an opportunity to get something through the Senate. Gotcha, gotcha. Deadlines often drive congressional action, expiring programs. 
So are there any things out there along those lines where we could see a new authorization, a new law to pass the House and Senate because of a deadline? Right. In addition to the government funding deadline, um, that same at, at the end of the fiscal year, the temporary assistance for needy families expires are going to have to pass at least a short term extension. This is welfare, cash assistance. Yes. They're going to have to pass at least a short term extension of that. Um, the House Republicans have a bigger bill to overhaul that that's uh, been reported out of the Ways and Means Committee that they'd like to get through. But I'm sure that the Senate's not going to take that up. So the short-term extension seems likely. They also have to do reauthorize the Violence Against Women Act. That's also set to expire at the end of September. And then there's this kind of new self-created deadline that they came up with right before they left on Thursday, that they really want the DOJ to turn over these final documents that they've been requesting related to um, their investigation into the FBI for potential abuse of the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act. Surveilling the Trump campaign. Basically, yeah. So they think their FBI has made some missteps in that investigation. And they've been asking for a lot of documents. And the DOJ has complied to some degree, but not fully satisfied the requests. And ba- House Republicans basically came up with an agreement that if they don't get all, they're going to send DOJ a list of the documents that they absolutely need by September. And if they don't have them by then, they're going to begin contempt proceedings against the Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein. Okay, so... Another big issue hanging out there is the future of the leadership in both parties, really. Um, You have House Speaker Paul Ryan, who's announced that he's not running for re-election. He's not coming back next year. And so are Republicans jockeying to replace him? How's the campaign going? Well, certainly there is some behind-the-scenes jockeying. I mean, Ryan, shortly after he announced his retirement, quickly endorsed Kevin McCarthy, who's the current number two as majority leader, to He's succeed a him. Republican from California, he would be the obvious one to step in. Right. He actually did run for speaker before when uh, John Boehner resigned, and he failed to get enough votes, and that's kind of where Ryan came in. So there is certainly a strong possibility he could fail to get the votes again. And that's why there are other candidates. Well, actually, Jim Jordan is directly going to challenge McCarthy. He just right. announced Jim this. Jim Jordan is the uh, former chairman of the House Freedom Caucus, the really conservative wing of the party. He He's going to be their standard bearer. Right. He decided uh, the day they were leaving Thursday um, to send a dear colleague letter to announce his formal campaign for speaker if the Republicans retain the majority. Certainly, this sends a strong message to McCarthy that the Freedom Caucus is not going to be backing him, that obviously they got their guy Jordan in running. You know, Jim Jordan, I think, is smart. He probably knows he's not going to be able to get enough votes to be speaker. So there's potentially... He's been embroiled in a scandal, too, related to his coaching of uh, wrestlers back in Ohio many years ago and and, uh, oversight of of sexual abuse. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that basically, there are a number of former wrestlers of his who have come out and said there's no way he didn't know that this team doctor at the time was basically inappropriately looking at boys, sometimes inappropriately touching them during examinations. But that, nonetheless, he's in the race. Right. Well, he, I, I wouldn't... He's I, saying, I didn't, you know, I wasn't aware. I'm Honestly, though, I, the, the race for speaker is not the same as running for re-election. It's a, something that your colleagues elect you to. So his colleagues have all come out in support and said, I believe Jim Jordan. He's a truthful guy, honest, and take you know he has integrity. I if he says he didn't know anything, I believe him. So, right. so I don't think a, that's affected his standing in the conference. He already has a controversial standing as like 
uh, you know, a bomb thrower, if you will. Right. So I think he already doesn't have a lot of members who want to support him for speaker. But I don't think this scandal will affect that internal. So if those, race. if if the Jordan contingent uh, is saying we don't like Kevin McCarthy as the next House Republican leader, does this? play to the advantage of the current House Majority Whip, the number three, Steve Scalise from Louisiana. Right, yeah. So uh, when I mentioned earlier that McCarthy might not be able to get the votes again, Scalise has is not running against McCarthy. He's made that clear. But he has kind of also been running the shadow campaign, like preparing for the possibility that McCarthy can't get the votes so he could mount his own run for speaker in that type of scenario. And then there are other dark horse ha- candidates, you know, names being tossed around, like people are trying to prepare for like a crazy scenario where McCarthy doesn't get it, Scalise doesn't get it, obviously Jordan probably doesn't get it. Who steps in then? Yeah, and there are just a lot of names being tossed around right now. Right. Nobody's declared anything. Or what about what about on the Democratic side? I mean, there's there's definitely a movement among some of the House Democrats to replace Nancy Pelosi as their leader in 2019. Are there any Democrats kind of openly vying for that job? Not yet. I mean, so far, only Tim Ryan has said he would consider. Challenge. He ran against her last right. Time, he Ohio ran against Democrat. her in 2016. At that time, Democrats were in the minority, so they were running for a minority leader. He lost leader. by like a two to one margin. It wasn't yeah. close, but there was a. But he know, still six, got like 60, 60 some so. votes. Yeah, he did get 60 some votes, and that I think it was, was a meant to, send, to exactly. It was meant to send a statement, and there have been far more candidates this time running saying they won't support her, um, as to whether that. Right. New candidates, new uh, new po- challengers, people taking on GOP incumbents who uh, think she hurts them. So it's actually very similar to some to some degree as the Republican situation where it's not a matter of like Kevin McCarthy can definitely win a conference vote against probably Jim Jordan, anyone else who would want to run against him. That's a majority vote. Same thing in the Democrats. Pelosi can win the caucus vote to be elected speaker, the simple majority. The problem is when you get to the floor, you need 218 members of on the House floor to elect you speaker. And that ha- you typically has to come from your own party because usually the other party votes for their person. So if Pelosi has 20-some candidates out there and not maybe not all of them get elected, but, you know, say Democrats, you know, they get a five-seat majority, that's, that's going to be those, a problem for her. If those candidates stick to their word and right. don't support her. And there are members in the caucus who don't want to support her either. So... I don't know if enough of them are willing to do that on the floor, but and same with the freshmen. So that's the question that has to be answered. But there could be a problem. And that's, I think, where people are evaluating in the caucus what happens there. You know, Steny Hoyer and James Clyburn, the number two and number three, respectively, are both open to running like for speaker in that scenario where she doesn't get enough votes um, as kind of a they're calling it a bridge candidate uh, to have a transitional time period where they, as experienced leaders, are in charge, but they are also helping groom that next generation of leaders. Okay. All right, Lindsay. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me, Sean. I am Sean Zeller. I'll be taking a summer break in August, and my colleague, CQ Senior Editor Patrick Pexton, will step in. Thank you for joining us. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and on NPR One. And please, rate us on iTunes. For more on this and other stories, visit RollCall.com or find us on Twitter at CQNow or at RollCall.